Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Podcast, where we coach you in the Word. Today, I want to begin to take a look into the death of a Christian. That sounds a bit off balance, but as we take another look through Romans chapter 8, I think we'll see how Paul described that the new birth can be aborted. It appears that we live in a very confused world, doesn't it? There's a real disconnect between the doctrines of the church concerning being saved and how being saved is lived out in our world. It appears that the accepted doctrine called eternal security has developed its own sense and its own source of confusion. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Open our eyes that we can see our ears, that we can hear in our heart, that we can understand what the word of God is saying. May we then apply it to our lives and be changed into the image of your dear Son. Jesus, we ask you to reveal yourself through the Holy Spirit. We surrender to that Holy Spirit. We receive it and we will release it to your people. We'll give you praise and glory in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, our High Priest, our Lord, and our Man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. So, how is it that we see such confusion in our world? Well, if one can simply say that they believe in God and they believe in Jesus and that gives them the sense of eternal security, their relationship to the very God and Jesus that they believe is irrelevant with respect to how they live. Now, you can live as you desire. You can certainly have the latitude to do as you wish. You can take church as you choose. And when the end comes, they want to tell you that you can rest assured that God in His mercy will remember what you did and honor that statement. Now, when I look at the world under these conditions, living under this doctrine and this, this, this style, this lifestyle, what do I see? Well, it's clear I see nothing but chaos. I see nothing but irresponsibility. I see a total lack of accountability. I also see a church that because of their own doctrine is weak and powerless. I ask myself, why would the thing that Jesus Christ is the head over be so out of sorts? Why would the church be so disjointed? Why are people turning from the church? Well, the answer is clear. They've been fed a doctrine that does not include the church. The church is no longer necessary because we've told them if they'll believe they can live like they want to and go to heaven when it's over. What good is the church? Well, that does not include the faithfulness and that does not involve worship. We don't need faithfulness anymore. 
We don't need worship anymore. So we have seen the church as irrelevant, an institution of a day gone by that's not necessary in our time. The question, of course, is why? If the concept of being saved was established by Paul as he taught in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, listen to the word, that we should be to the praise of his glory who are first trusted in Christ. The saved <laughs> trusted in Christ so that they made a conscious, purposeful, and intentional decision to accept the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, in the tomb, in the resurrection. And then the doors that he opened to us as the high priest, the Lord, and the man, and the Godhead. In whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Now, their trust was based upon what they heard, which was the word of truth. This means that according to Paul, those that came to Christ received a clear and precise message. It was not an altered message. It was not a doctored message that was doctored to match the moment. No, this brought forward, because it was truth in which they believed, the message and the purpose that changed, transformed their lives. They believed what they heard, and they trusted in the work of Jesus. Now, the last part of this scripture that we have just looked at, which deals with the sealing of the Holy Spirit, is used by the eternal security people to identify that because they believed, they were automatically sealed. Well, that would work unless we read and understood Acts chapter 19. That's the event to which Paul is referring as the sealing by the Holy Ghost for the people of Ephesus. So we know that the act of being saved involves what it involves. It involves hearing, believing, and subsequently trusting your life to the work of the Savior. The additional work is one that should be done for the benefit of the believer, but is not essential to the entrance into the kingdom of heaven. It is, however, essential the sealing of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, with evidence of speaking in other tongues, is essential for service. It is essential to being led by Jesus. I have never understood why anybody would want to serve Jesus Christ and be absent of the opportunity to hear His voice, to be led and guided into truth, to be reproved, encouraged, to be shown things that are to come, and to allow Him to speak through you. Well, I've never understood why anybody would think that they are a match for the devil absent of the Holy Spirit. Well, we know that this is essential 
this ceiling that Paul is talking about is essential for service. It's essential also for you to develop and mature. It's essential to the ability for you to be able to ingest a diet that will allow you to develop in the knowledge, revelation, and wisdom that's required for you to be more, more than an overcomer in Christ Jesus under the conditions in which we live. And my friend, these are dire conditions. Verse 14 said, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto um, the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. This seal, of course, as I've stated, is associated with the baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in other tongues. So the Ephesians had an experience in being saved and the additional experience of the sealing of the Spirit. Now I want to begin by looking at Romans chapter 8 verse 11 and see what we can glean here from Paul's writing. I think it will be interesting. Remember this premise. Remember this. The work associated with being saved cannot and will not be taken from anyone. It is not lost. It is not something that was lost and found. As we desire to purport this potential of one losing their salvation. Neither is it taken from you as if a birthright could be taken through a means of deception. No. What has been birthed in the heart of one who by choice desires to remain attached and conform to the world of sin, what has happened is that the believer choosing sin <coughs> has aborted and killed the very one to whom the birth has been conceived. The one who says and prays that they have believed on Christ and thinks because of eternal security that they can live however they want to live and that God will identify in them the DNA of being saved has aborted the new birth and killed the very thing that has been conceived in their inner man. With that knowledge, is there any wonder that the concept of abortion is widely accepted as a means to control things that we decide after it has been conceived that we don't want? The enemy has desensitized us to the idea of discarding the things that we perceive, hinder, prohibit, and seem to hold us back from the freedom that our flesh so desperately desires. The work in us that we saw, that we were convicted of, that we were reproved of until we were convinced to pray the prayer, requesting forgiveness of our sins, that work in us has not been taken not been hoodwinked, it's not been hijacked, it's not been lost, it has been killed 
it has been aborted. A birth, an inner birth has been aborted. It has died on the vine, my friend. Why? Because it's been conceived but left unattended. It has been left without the resources necessary to help it grow. As a matter of fact, it's been fed everything possible to destroy it. The magic bullet for the abortion of the saved life, the magic bullet is simply sin. That sin done willfully without any concern for the growing birth that has been planted in your inner man. So, an abortion of the new birth has been completed over and over and over and over again. And in the mind of those who have served to abort the new birth, they are told by the doctrines of the church that you're okay because you believed. Just like we have told the world, you have no emotional attachment to what you abort. Don't worry about it. This is a willful act. It's a willful act of abortion. Abortion of the new birth has never been visited, never been talked about. We've spent our time talking about losing and being taken from. We've spent our time misinterpreting Scripture to say that because we believe we were sealed with the Holy Spirit, never understanding truth. We have an inherent need, my friend, in our church world and in our family world to make everything and everyone look like, act like, they're okay with God. I would remind you, my friend, that the Scripture declared that there was a rich man that went to hell. He was not okay. He was doomed and he was damned. I would remind you that there was a man named Judas Iscariot that was not okay. I would remind you that those to whom Jesus will look at one day and say, I never knew you, they are not going to be okay. Sin still is the antithesis of the gospel message. There's no way we can get around that. It separates man from God. If you remain in sin after the prayer for the new birth, you will kill that birth. You will abort that birth that has occurred in you. I would refer to it as the abortion of Christianity. Let's look at verse 11 of Romans 8. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. The first part of this verse identifies that there is a definite work that has occurred in the believer. It refers to an indwelling this is the initial work of the Holy Spirit that has been enacted in the inner man. It is what we know that Jesus taught as the new birth. The Holy Spirit in this work 
draws a person, convinces a person of their sin, shows them the path to righteousness. Along with this, he reveals the judgment for sin, the judgment upon the author of sin, and the impending judgment for anyone living in sin. He also offers the remedy for sin, of course. That is the death by crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This offering took the sin that a person was born under and died for the release of the plan of God for the forgiveness from the bondage of sin. You remember that, transgression, iniquity, lost peace, and then the spiritual healing that came about, according to Isaiah 53. Man is convicted and then convinced of his sin, and the Holy Spirit enacts the born-again condition. This born-again condition changes his inner man. Subsequently, man is saved and reconnected to his correct master. But what about the second phase phrase of this verse? He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So if phase, the first phrase deals with being saved, what does the second phrase deal with? Since the spirit has quickened our body and brought it to life in the inner man, why is there another quickening in the mortal body required? Well, the flesh is a problem. It has been a problem for Paul's writings in the first seven chapters of the book of Romans. But Paul has found a remedy. It's the new law. The new law has at its basic tenet that the flesh, which is responsible for death, must be dealt with and brought under the influence of the Spirit. Now, we as believers are to be free from the influence of the flesh. Someone said, Pastor, are you telling me that we are to live sinless? No, I'm telling you that we are to grow and get off of milk and get onto the meat of the Word of God. If we need an advocate and repentance, we have it. If we need an intercessor, we have it. If we need a mediator, we have it. But we should not be living in sin, to sin, under the exercise of sin, in the attitude of sin, executing the behaviors of sin. We should be living to produce the image of Christ Jesus. Some say that this is not possible. Paul seemed to think that there was an avenue that made it possible. He seemed to think that we could be free from the old law that had kept us in slavery. He identified what it is that we're attempting to gain influence over, and he named it the flesh. He shared what the remedy for this flesh issue had to be, and that was the sacrificial offering of the Son of God. This offering brought the judgment and the sentence upon sin, and the sin that would work so desperately to influence the flesh. This flesh life was to no longer have influence. Now watch. Because we have to contend with something here. The spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus has reconnected our inner man to God. 
Therefore, we become clean internally. We are made internally to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of the sin that he bore on the cross. Well, of course, that's great news, but there seems to now be an additional issue that must be addressed. It's this. We are born again in our inner man, but our flesh still has a voice in who we are and what we do. That is a real problem. Now, the righteousness of the new law of life has been fulfilled in us and we're deemed to be living in the spirit in our inner man. The inner influence is working to bring our flesh in line with the spirit that is now predominant in our inner man. However, there are still those, us, who struggle with the operation of the flesh. Well, are they lost, Pastor? No doubt this statement is referring to those who have not come into the knowledge of truth, but this chapter is primarily speaking to those who are no longer under the condemnation of the old law. You know the one that Paul describes as the old law of sin and death. But there must be a third subset of people identified in this chapter. They are those who continue to be influenced by the operation of the flesh, although they are no longer under condemnation. They are alive in the spirit of Christ in the inner man. They're deemed to meet the standard of God by their capacity to believe and receive the born-again experience. They continue, however, to struggle with their illicit interactions with the flesh. Now, why would that be? Well, here's your answer. Their mind, their spirit has been renewed, has been connected, but their mind has never been renewed. They've not sacrificed themselves to living a Christ-centered life. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Huh? No one ever tells the once in grace, always in grace, the eternal security people. No one ever must preach or teach that your body is to be presented as a living sacrifice. That means that your flesh has to be brought under subjection. And it is your responsibility to do so. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now the outer shell, unpresented before as a sacrifice, is only left to conform to the natural senses. The six senses will drive the outer shell to places that the inner man does not desire to go. But the reconnected inner man has no say in what the outer man does. One can be driven by lust, pride, and all the works of flesh, having been convicted and convinced of the need for a Savior, and having prayed the prayer to be saved. Now why is that? 
Because the believer has not reconciled his mind to what has occurred in the inner man. He's not sacrificed how he thinks and how he acts. He has not brought himself out of conformity to the world, often because he is told that he doesn't have to worry about that anymore, but because of what he has asked to be done in his inner man, everything else is okay. What has it caused? Chaos. It has left us vulnerable to the attacks of the devil. It has put us in an early grave. It has caused families to be divided, divorced, separated. It has caused all kind of evil activity in our world. No, we've never reconciled our mind to what's occurred in the inner man. We have not sacrificed how we think and act. We have heard a message from the Spirit and believed, but that work of the Spirit being so certain to produce in the inner man a new birth has yet to apply that work to the mind of man. Many people live lives totally led by this condition. Often they weep and often they pray and often they fall on altars around the world never understanding that what they sacrifice is their responsibility. It's not God's responsibility, it's your responsibility to present your body a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God. It's your responsibility to bring your body under subjection. It's your responsibility to take your flesh and bring it under the direction of the Holy Spirit. People live their lives that way, and Paul told us about this during the first chapters of Romans in chapters 1 through 7. They float up and down and in and out of their relationship to the new birth. The common denominator is of this struggle is that the mind has never been transformed nor renewed. And in most cases, they are never taught that the renewing of their mind is your responsibility. It's their responsibility. How could this be? We would say, well, they're saved. They're secure as far as their righteousness is concerned, and all that may be true. But they've not been enlightened as to what they must do to handle their flesh. Now notice, I did not say they've not been enlightened as to how to handle the devil. I said they've not been enlightened as to how to handle the flesh. Your flesh is your responsibility. You will use the biblical method to bring it under subjection or you will live daily with the consequences and repercussions that your flesh and your desire for fleshly satisfaction produce. Know this, God expects that you choose to present yourself a living sacrifice. Whose choice is that? Yours or His? My friend, it's yours. God expects that you choose to desire to pursue holiness and acceptable living before Him. This, according to Paul, is simply your reasonable service. 
Why would that be in view of what Jesus Christ has done for you in all of the works associated with the cross? It's only reasonable that you having been introduced to this work, accepting this work and being born again by this work would desire to responsibly bring the one area that must be controlled to Him, sacrificing it to Him, and choosing responsibly not to be conformed to this world. Now I'm going to end this one, this broadcast right here. But I'm here to tell you, Christians are aborting their Christian walk. They're aborting it. They're killing it on the vine with purpose and intention because they choose not to follow the Scripture. No one's taking your salvation from you. No man is plucking you out of anybody's hand. No man is doing any of that. No one is causing you not to be in position to hear the voice of God, to hear the voice of Jesus Christ. No, unfortunately, you're aborting the new birth. You're aborting it. You're killing it. You're not maturing in it. You've stayed on milk so long that there has been no ability to mature. Well, we're going to go on with this. It may take a couple of more sessions. I'm not sure. But I want you to understand, my friend, if you are aborting the new birth by continuing in sin, then I challenge you to get back to the cross. Find Him as an advocate. Pray, repent, and begin to live the life after the image of Jesus Christ. That life will give you eternal security. It is the only one that will do so. Father, I pray that you'll bless your word, that you'll open our eyes that we can see. Minister to us, I pray, in the lovely name of Jesus Christ. And we will give you glory for enlightenment, for revelation, for knowledge and wisdom. In the lovely name of Jesus, amen and amen. Contact us at springston56 at gmail.com. Mike Springston. FFC um, podcast, MikeSpringstonMinistries.com, FFCMA.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's Facebook messaging. We'd love to hear from you. May God bless you as you study His Word. Until we speak again. <laughs>